this is how to make your own homemade ranch that kind of tastes like the ranch made in restaurants like Mazio's. You're going to need some minis, sour cream, milk, and Hidden Valley Ranch, um, two packs of the dressing mix, and you're going to need some buttermilk. If you don't have buttermilk or can't find it in the stores, I'm going to show you how to make buttermilk with vinegar. So to make the buttermilk, you're going to get one tablespoon of vinegar and one cup of milk and put that in a bowl, give it a little stir, and let that sit for about 5 to 10 minutes until the milk curdles. Okay, once your milk is done sitting, you're going to take your two packets of ranch mix, dump those in there, and then dump in one cup of mints, and then dump in one cup of sour cream, and start mixing that up real good. You can take a whisk and get in there and get some of the lumps out if you like. But that's it. There you go. Your own homemade ranch. And it should taste pretty close to the ranch, um, like in Mazia's. You want to talk to me about pasta, buddy? No chance in hell. You don't have the vocabulary. A little bit of this. A little bit of that. It's about the tomatoes, Tommy. Fuck. You. And you want to talk to me about designer handbags? No fucking way. You're a clown. You're a clown who writes for the Creators Project. You're a clown who writes for the Creators Project and your little mommy drives your raggedy ass to daycare every morning. Get a clue. I'm out here, every day, building solidarity between my comrades. I'm the real deal. I see you on Twitter. Replying to Jerry Seltz. You thirsty? Diet. Caffeine-free, junior varsity motherfucker. Texas forever. Clear eyes. Full hearts. There is no milkman. You are a sheep. Bruppeting walk. Bruppeting walk. Your shitty ass Twitter threads made me kill my grandpa. Now I'm eating for two. All sculpture is steampunk. What a wonderful day it is. Am I right? Welcome back to another episode of Humor and the Abject, UG20 Rioting Screedlers. This is Staff Only, the studio manager here at the podcast. You may remember me from such episodes as episode 26, or episode 13. Sure. I've been around for a minute. But you, dear listener, have always been the caretaker. We're back and better than ever. You'll hear in a moment from your host, Sean.
Sean J. Patrick Carney, about a really exciting opportunity coming up this very week for you to give your support to the continuation of the podcast and Sean's writing on the humor and the abject website. Fool me once, I'm a sassy ass goblin and I shop it from Forever 21. Fool me twice, and you get an MFA anyways, we've got a great show this week for you. Our guest is Chloe Wise. You're going to love her. This episode was made possible by DIYer at Dressing Hacks, bootleg designer handbags, making fun of the creator's project, German political riots, and a heaping spoonful of get out of my room, mom. I'm on the fucking phone. Leather wing. Flapper. Skin mouse. Night demon. The word for bat in different European languages. That last bit was for you, Brian Drycor. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 27 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Folks, it is so good to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in. This is our special time together every single week, you know? And it's hard to believe that we've reached the 27 clubs of episodes, you know, you and me, but here we are. I'm very glad to have you along for the ride. Uh, Before we get started today, I wanted to encourage you to keep an eye out on the Humor in the Abject blog uh, this coming week. Uh, Also, check out its Twitter and my own personal Twitter account, which you can find at SoSchmelPractice. That's at S-O-C-M-A-L-P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. That's uh, the Twitter length won't allow me to do social malpractice, which is the publishing label that that is supposed to be referencing. Uh, Anyways, I'm going to be debuting a cool new way that you can support the podcast as well as the writing that I put out on contemporary art and comedy through Humor in the Abject. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I'd gladly do this for free and I have been doing so (laughs) thus far. Uh, I mean, I should say that it's been wonderful to have received a little help from the folks at Rhizome with a NetArt micro grant a couple of months back, and I can't thank Kickstarter enough for not only giving me access to their podcast studio, but also space to work on all of my writing and other humor in the abject content uh, throughout this fall as one of the residents. Um, but anyways, if you like what I'm doing with this podcast and the website, please keep your eyes peeled this week for an announcement. I honestly cannot believe the number of people who listen to every single episode or the view numbers on articles that the blog is getting. Uh, It means a lot to know that you're paying attention. Uh, It means a whole lot. I'm hoping that you like it enough to assist me in making it a more sustainable endeavor for myself because I'm loving the opportunity to bring you conversations with my favorite artists and comedians, writers and musicians every single week. Uh, Okay, I will keep you all posted on that. Check out this sick-ass breakdown. LOL. This week's guest is a dear friend of mine, the artist Chloe Wise. Uh, She and I have been pals since I first moved to New York, and in the last four years, it has been a total trip to see her career explode the way that it has. She makes hilarious but relatively unsettling paintings, sculptures, videos, and a whole lot of other stuff. And what I love about what she has been producing is that it finds its way far beyond the art world and into popular culture pretty regularly. We've been trying to schedule a time for her to come by since the podcast got started, but she has had a very wild, uh, though elegant, uh, studio schedule these past six months, which has just momentarily calmed down for her. 
So we're going to hear what she's been up to and what it's like to be Canadian. So let's get to chewing. Here's my conversation with Chloe Wise. Okay. All right. So some music has just faded out. We're coming back in. It's really lovely. It's great to have you here. Um, Chloe Wise, welcome to Human the Abject. How is life? Life is really, really special right now. I'm newly a mom. Yes. I just gave birth to a tiny Siamese kitten <laughs> named Pluto, Chicken Nugget Wise. That's his full name? Yes. I think his middle name is Chicken Nugget. I didn't have a middle name. I don't have a middle name to this day. At all. At all. Not even not even a hint of one. Hmm. So I think it makes sense that my son does have one, a double a double middle name, Chicken Nugget. Yeah. Um, but I think Pluto is a really nice name for him. Anyways, I feel great. I love my son so much. It's my first time leaving the house since having him. Really? Yeah, for more than... When did you get him? Two days ago. Two days ago. When I was emailing you frantically like, <laughs> I have a kitten! I can't <laughs> go anywhere. But uh, I think he's learning independence, you know. That's really cool. Where did you get your kitten? Um, from, like I said, my womb. I gave birth to him. Oh, right. Um, my bad. That's what happens when mm-hmm. you, you know... Fuck a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. So, uh, yeah, I gave birth to him, and he's really, really sweet. That's cool. I used to have a cat, but I had to give him away. Why? Because I was moving, and I was leaving Portland, and I couldn't really bring a cat with me across the country. But his name was Frank Zappa Wahlberg. That's really good. I like a last name for him. Yeah, he had a different last name than me because he was a feminist. Right. we didn't want... He was, yeah. He still is. Oh, he still is. Are you in touch, though? (laughs) He, uh, the... The woman who is his mom now, I follow her on Instagram. Oh, that's so great. And she posts videos of him and stuff. And she's like two owners after me. He's oh, wow. Like he's a, been around. He's kind of like a foster kid. That's but sweet, though. He went with a friend of mine named Jeremy who was uh, very fond of him. They were quite fond of one another. So Jeremy took him. and then That's really nice. I think he went somewhere else. And he ended up with this girl. And then someone tagged me in an Instagram comment and was like, Sean, this is Frank. And it had been years. Mm. And I saw him, and he looked just as stupid as he did when he was my oh, cat, and I was so, so excited. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so nice. The woman that I got the baby, well, the, the midwife that birthed my, that helped me birth mm-hmm. my kitten. Your doula? All of his, yeah, all of his previous siblings or, or, you know, ancient family members have Instagram accounts, and I can, I have seen all the of cat. his, his, his uncles and aunts and, and grandparents on leashes in Central Park and stuff like that. Really? So Siamese cats are really dog-like. So oh. look forward to seeing me carrying slash in a baby Bjorn, which what I've been doing the past few days is carrying him around Through a baby Tompkins Bjorn. Through Square Park? Through, maybe even like Central. Who mm. knows? I'm going to bring that cat on a leash. I'm going to get like cute hats and berets and we're going to we're gonna parade around and he's going to be, he's going to have quite the, quite the, the vagabond life walking yeah. around. Speaking of berets, is that is that a little bit of influence from your recent uh, excursion to, 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 to France? Yes. I'm very um, French-inspired. Um, you know, I was a temporary European. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for two months. I was in Paris for my show. And, um, yeah, feeling real French. You know, it's funny when – because I'm Canadian – so when I'm in America, I'm like, I'm Canadian. And when I'm in Canada, I'm like, I'm American. I am, I am both. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in – Paris, I'm like, I'm French. I'm not American. I'm not Canadian. I just like like to pretend I'm French because I mm-hmm. speak it. I have the beret. You can That's, speak n- French. Yeah, I can speak French. Can you speak a little French for the listeners. Um, bonjour, mes amis. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's convincing. No, I do speak fluent French. I just don't know what you want me to say. Um, <laughs> voici mon premier podcast. 
<laughs> I've never heard anybody say podcast. Podcast. <laughs> it's spelled the same, but there's an E at the end. Of course there is. It's gendered, as all French words are. Wait, does that make it um, masculine or feminine? feminine. Oh. Une petite podcast. Sure. I feel like the demographics of people who host podcasts definitely skew feminine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, but you were doing a solo show there called Of False Beaches and Butter Money. Yes. And it was at? Almin Resch. Almin Resch. Yes. Yeah, I have never said it out loud. I was terrified to you say know, it. You know, some people say Almin Reich, and I'm like, I don't know what you would. There's which, no I. Which Holocaust movie you just watched and <clears throat> why you're talking about, you know, the Almin Reich as if it's like the fourth one, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it's Rush. Um, okay. Wonderful, lovely lady, and a wonderful experience. It was yeah. so great. I well, I, such a good time. I couldn't make it to the opening or the run of the show, but I did see the documentation of it, and there were like dozens of work in it. Oh, there was so much work. It's such dozens a large... Of works, sorry. Works. It was such a, it's such a large space. Um, I can't even express how vast that space is. It's really big. And there was one main room, which I think was heavily photographed, so you probably saw the big paintings, some of which were up to four meters, which is like 10 feet. You're saying meter? Oh, I guess you're Canadian. I'm Canadian, you uh, guess. <laughs> like I said, I'm European. <laughs> Two months into being European. But um, some of the works were so big that I was on a ladder, like using my whole arms. You can't see this, but I'm doing really big arm gestures. Yeah, you're doing very, do I very use my whole strokes. arm to do broad strokes exactly for just a hand or something? They were really large works, which is more ambitious than usual for me. I didn't even I didn't quite realize that they looked like maybe like they're, eight feet or something. Yeah, some are. Yeah, well, one of them is is ten feet wide. Ten feet wide. And some were like six feet tall. They were really big. And then so there's that room, and then there was another room that was video, which I have to edit. Um, some short versions of it so it can be seen online, but you probably haven't seen the video, which I think actually, of all people, you would really like. Yeah. And there, yeah, and you know, there's a back room too, which was hard to photograph because it was dimly lit, much like this podcast room. Yes. It was very like cinematic and dramatically lit, and it was a mirror table with all these foods and fake foods and fake milk dripping everywhere. And there was Uh a candle, and it was a mirror table, so it would reflect everything. And then there was a sound piece. So it was really elaborate. Yeah. um, more elaborate than my previous exhibitions. What has your studio schedule been like leading up to that? Well, I was in Paris the month of the entire month of August because um, in Paris, all all the month of August, everything is closed and everyone leaves town for vacation. So there's literally not a person in anywhere, and that sounded really nice. But it wasn't. It was gray and raining and weird. It was like the weather was also like we're going on vacation. Hmm. Us weather. Is that God's? R- and it was just like gray, empty. But that was great because I got to use the entire gallery as a studio because the gallery was oh, closed wow. as well, which was incredible to have a space like that. Yeah. And, Did you um, make most of the work there then? I made a lot of it there. Huh. I made four or five paintings in New York, and I made a lot of the molds for the sculptures I would then cast. Um, and so I did some of the larger paintings there in the studio space, which is, once again, incredible. What a, what a cool opportunity to be able to paint in such a big, crazy, perfectly lit building yeah. like so wonderful and, and in the space where they're actually going to go right so, so it's you're not like a, so, this hypothetical kind of thing right exactly so it actually makes sense i made a painting for a specific wall with this yeah. with the wall in mind so that that was really nice and then you get kind of attached to the space so one of the one of the rooms i we put fake grass on the ground so i was really used to you know having my coffee checking my emails chilling on that grass <laughs> and like hanging out um and my boyfriend and i did some of the scoring for the sound pieces together. And so, like, we were, like, playing a synth in there. Like, it became this spot that I got really close to. 
But it's cool. So yeah, I made a lot of the work there. That's pretty and rad. And this show closed a little bit ago, though, October right? 7th. October yeah, 7th. A month ago, cool. actually. A month ago yesterday. Is the month August when everybody leaves? Do you remember quite a few years ago when I think it was right around when we hated French people here? Mm-hmm. Um, it was shortly after, I think, the war uh, in Iraq began. And uh, a lot of people go on vacation, and then there was a heat wave and a bunch of old people died that they left at home. Oh, my and God. And I think it was during one of these things. But it could have been Italy, too. I well, mean, maybe Italy they do. Italy is the same way, but the thing is there's people in Italy because everyone leaves parts of Italy to go on vacation in other parts of Italy. Mm. Or, like, people from leave – everyone leaves Paris to go to Greek islands or, or whatever. Um, so anywhere in Europe because it's all – Incredibly close and easy yeah. and beautiful weather. It's like going to Philly. Is, yeah, it's it's easier. <laughs> I Ubered to Philly three nights ago. No, you didn't. I Ubered to Philly. I did. Why? Because um, we thought it would be a great idea to go try um, Pizzeria Badia, which is supposed to be the best pizza, and it's my friend Joe Badia's place, where mm. they only play my Spotify playlist, which is a great, mm. great thing if you have ears. And the pizza was incredible, and we also saw Ariel Pink. But, like, we could have seen Ariel Pink in New York. That's true. So we took an Uber to Philly. What kind of pizza are we talking? We had every kind. Yeah. He only makes, like, four kinds, and he makes them all himself. Joe Padilla, you're amazing if you're listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible. One was Angry Arabietta. spiced A spiced boy. A spiced boy? It was a really spicy pizza boy. A spicy boy. It was really, really good. But, yeah, it's easier getting around Europe than it is getting to Philly. Um... <laughs> So we talked about the volume of works in the show. What are some of the themes? Clearly there's a lot of representations of food. Yes. The titles are a lot of puns, I feel like, on self-care and things like that. Yeah, well, um, the, I can start with the title. The title of the show being of false speeches and butter money. Um, there's a French idiom that um, goes, vouloir le beurre, l'argent du beurre et le cul de crémière, which means you want the butter, the butter money, and the milkmaid's ass. Which is the equivalent to to have your cake and have eat it too. Cake and eat it so too, it's like you yeah. want everything. Um, you want these unrealistic. Um, you want the surplus of everything. You want. It's it's the sort of idea that you want everything, even though that doesn't really quite make sense. And that's sort yeah. of what I'm exploring is this idea that we have this these moral decisions to make regarding our consumptive habits. For example, when you go into a grocery store, you're faced with decisions, even though they're micro decisions. But every day, your choices as to what you eat, what you buy, what you uh, associate yourself with, which dietary fad you you know, adhere to. If you're vegan, we all know about it. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're buying recycled toilet paper versus like there's these small, these small decisions you're making that are essentially linked to morals because mm-hmm. everything that we do as humans is like our decision making is somehow linked to what we think is the right thing to do whether or not our morals are you know christian morals or what you and i would say are good or bad morals or republican morals versus democrat it's not that it's more like we have you know a, 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 a set of morals that we make decisions based on so what i'm kind of focusing on with the self care is this this idea that People want to feel as though they're doing the right thing for their body or for the, the environment or for their social cause, whatever it is. Yeah. But, you know, in a time where we have such flimsy information, because there's so much information, um, at a time where we have fake news and we have conflicting 
um, articles about which is the superfood that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, have coconut oil. It's great for your skin. Don't have coconut oil. Very bad for you. No, it's fattening. Ooh, it's great. Use it as lube. Put it in your coffee. It's bulletproof coffee. Good fat. Good fat. Bad fat. All these things that we hear. And so you just can read any article and be like, yeah, BuzzFeed said I should be doing a salmon face mask or (laughs) anything. And it's all these these ideas of self-care and that we use that to justify these like small things, like these decisions we make. But at the same time, a lot of these decisions are actually um, doing the exact opposite. For example, if you're, you know, there's that whole, the whole question of eating meat, which is my show is kind of, it's using this idea of, of dairy and ideas of whether, like different, different um, expressions of dairy or, or narratives surrounding dairy to explore something obviously larger. It's not really like, a, this show isn't about, you know, lactose intolerance versus mm-hmm. lactose tolerance, but it's more about this this overwhelming amount of information and what we do with it. Yeah. But for example, with, with dairy, um, there's so many narratives and, and images of dairy that we grew up with that were like, milk is really good for you. It's sure. wholesome. And you have these images of a milkmaid and Heidi on an alp and a cow that's consensually giving its milk or like a, uh, an anthropomorphic cartoon character cow, laugh, the, the laughing cow, laughing and happily giving its milk like it's this happy thing. And so many ads for milk have a blue sky and green grass. Mm. It's that reoccurring image in my work. Um, this pastoral, rural, welcoming image, this nutritious thing, as though milk is this very historic, abundant, wholesome, beautiful necessity that we as humans are supposed to have. And we Understood that growing up, got milk ads, have a glass of milk for a balanced meal, whatever. That's so not true. <laughs> That's so crazy because the dairy industry is just another arm of the meat industry. Sure. If not worse, because everyone consumes dairy, whether or not you're vegetarian, not everyone, but you know, I'm generalizing, but it's a murderous industry of transactional, like keeping animals impregnated only to. Take their milk. I mean, I don't want to get into this. I'm not trying to do like a vegan thing. By the way, I'm not vegan. I'm not at all. And I ate cheese this morning and eggs. Like I'm, I'm not. It's not the point. It's more that it's about like the the way that we are able to prioritize one set of images over another mm-hmm. to justify our desire to consume something. So it's like we like cheese and ice cream. So we're going to stick to the image that we like, the blue sky, green grass, cute milkmaid, lactantia or whatever. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those moral decisions, too, are obviously intrinsically linked to um, to income and how much money we have and, like, when we're flexible. Like, when you're flush and you're like, I'm going to buy the ethically yeah. harvested this thing, this thing, this thing. And then when it comes down to a time where you're kind of scraping by and you're like, you know, fuck, I have $20 in my account. It's like, okay, I'll eat, the, I'll eat this 99-cent box of macaroni and cheese well, because this or that. And that's just simply – I hadn't really thought of it – before, though, in terms of just kind of like our flexibility with morals, I've always thought of it as kind of practicality, but it is rooted also in kind of like a, well, it's okay if I do this now. Because that's moral licensing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, hmm. Sean. That's exactly it. Because my point being that why I was saying that this is not about, you know, milk or dietary choices, but rather it's about like this idea that if you do something good, a moral um, checklist, check mark on your list of things I did today, this one was good, then you kind of let yourself get away with something bad. For mm-hmm. example, like how many like workout fiends are also cigarette smokers or mm-hmm. how many like vegans are also alcoholics or, how, like, you know, yeah, yeah. how many, you know, there's there's so many like, frictions or, or um, incoherent or incohesive parts of our existence where it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a really great person because I recycle all the time except for when I'm 
you know, taking like, an Uber to Philly, r- taking an Uber, <laughs> Philly. exactly. <laughs> five, we were five people. It was a, it was cheaper than the train. Actually, that's, I mean, people drive there all the time. Yeah, I don't really, it, it was, just, it just seems different to me because it's not like it's your frivolous car, and funny, you know, but it was like, I mean, there's so many things I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not trying to like be preachy because I'm no, definitely no. not. It sounds like, like, well, it sounds like dairy's the, dairy's the entry point. And it's simply a thing that we all have at least some type of relationship with whether we do now and actively consume it, or as you're saying, when people are growing up, it's just something that everybody in kind of Western cultures will and, connect and with Europe, and recognize. Really, you know, a lot of Europe, um, a lot of like Switzerland and France is so based on this like love for cheese and dairy mm-hmm. and they have a different a different relationship to food because actually it's probably not as bad as the industry here. Like in America, like the meat industry is really running the entire world essentially. And it's, there are some smaller like locavore situations and it's a smaller scale in Europe. But at the same time, there's like, if you try to try this on a French person, they're like, but milk is really good for you. <laughs> Whereas in America, I think we're at least in our, you know, our small circles, you know, on the coasts, at least we're like, wait, maybe I should have soy milk. But then you're like, wait, soy milk is full of estrogen. And, and, then for, you're like, and for leftist cucks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Here we are. And then you're like, oh, okay, how about almond milk? Yeah, yeah. And then you realize so that almond water. milk. So much water. So much water. Exactly. It's gallons. terrible. Gallons. And then you're like, okay, maybe I'll do rice milk, macadamia milk. How about that? It's so expensive. And there's so many just – it's the same thing with quinoa where you're mm-hmm. making – you feel good because you've made a vegetarian decision getting the quinoa or making quinoa. Right. But quinoa is – horrific for the people who make who are actually harvesting it they can't I afford it you know, read about that right so it's just there's all these different aspects that we have to kind of either close our eyes to or shut our mind off to or just kind of do something based on convenience or flexibility as you said or desire like sometimes you're just like fuck it i want steak i mean often you're just like fuck it i want steak mm-hmm. i'll be thinking about this stuff like my brain just going in circles being like, oh, my God, the meat industry, like, this is also crazy. I've listened to so many, like, lectures about it or read, read so much about it, and then I'm making work about it, and then I get to dinner that night, and they're like, can I ha- can I tell you that my specials tonight? Tonight I have a beautiful ribeye, and I'm like, I'll have it. It's rare. And it's so crazy how you can so easily um, dissociate. And another part of my show that on this, one of the one of the things I'm interested in is the the language used to like what are the tools you know that we use or that the industries of food have used to sort of uh allow us to keep doing this these things that are like on you know in on the spectrum of bad for the environment for our bodies whatever killing animals like i mean once again not vegetarian i have been for seven years when i was younger but i'm not i did 11 when i was younger wow yeah yeah. Yeah. i mean and then some point you're just like Wait, I'm a hedonist and I like eating yeah. animal flesh. But Upton Sinclair's The Jungle fucked me up, man. What's and that? The, it's oh, the book. Yeah. It's about the meat packing and and I and I had to stop, but then yeah. after I did like eleven years, I thought, well, I've balanced out my Well, that's it. And like I sexual politics of meat is something too that like really <laughs> fucked me up. And then I'm like Oh yeah, I'm a vegetarian. That's easy. And then you just remember the smell of barbecue. Or... Yeah, I ate a. I think I ate a steak and chicken wings at a barbecue when I when I broke my, oh my vegetarian. God. Really? Yeah, just I felt like fine. I felt fine too when I broke. I felt it. completely fine, which was weird because that was a big actual terror. No. Yeah, not weird. I feel like it's kind of fine because our bodies are down to do yeah. it. I had oysters, a hot dog, and sliders and prosciutto in the same in the same <laughs> sitting when I broke it. Now, do you think that the so there's kind of this veneer, though, that's over the work that is with stuff that is sort of thought of as, like, cheeky or ironic or kind of funny to nod to. And do you, are you concerned if somebody comes to it and they're just like, 
Oh, Chloe thinks that ranch dressing is funny because ranch dressing is, let's face it, a pretty funny thing. It's a funny thing. And so does that concern you, though, if people aren't connecting to what's in it in it? Um, Or are you more just kind of like, you don't want to be like didactically screaming at people? I don't want to be didactic at all, even though I did an artist talk, a lecture. Like, um, I did so much talking about it in both languages Mm -hmm. um, that I feel like I made it. If you wanted to know more about the show, you could find that out. The press release is right there. It's yeah. not like I'm screaming these these things at you and saying, like, hey, don't drink milk. It's not the point at all. Um, I just think that maybe it brings up these – if you think about it or you look at it, maybe it brings up these questions. But also, like, if you're looking at my work on Instagram, as most people – I guess some people are, and they're like, oh, funny, I get it. Like, she's a girl making cute girl art again. Wow. Like, if that's the way you're looking at my art, I don't really care how you feel about it anyway. Sure. Yeah. What I care about actually is exploring issues that I'm interested in, and I, like – couldn't stop thinking about this stuff. So I had to think about what my point actually isn't to be didactic at all or to tell people what they should or shouldn't do. It's more like exploring the imagery and the language that leads to these or that surrounds these issues. I'm really interested in the visual elements. Like what I'm interested in is advertising the tactics and the imagery and yeah. the way that hands are used to portray something or the way a background like a blue sky or green grass yeah. or the the context or the person selling the thing or the language or the font used. Like I'm really interested in the visual cues that lead you to make a decision and that so, almost social science of Is of that where those paintings visuals. come from too? Yeah, I mean like that. The kind of just and, these like, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be salacious, but just like sultry looking yeah, you know, women sort yeah. of posing with these things. Well, and, also that with a bit of art history, mm-hmm. a lot of art history. You know, the Dutch um, ostentatious still life is what those ta- – like the ta- I think it's very clear if you look at the table yeah. works that there are these like, you know, abundant cornucopias of food dripping and it looks ripe for the eating, which is a memento mori. reminds you that it's going to be eaten and turned to shit and then it's going to be like an abject plate of sticky bones and mess and, and rotting mm. – yeah, all that, you know. <laughs> and I think that that's a pretty clear if you – you know, think about art history for even a split second. You think of the still life and that entire genre and how that is about vanitas and, you know, the transient nature of life. And so I think it's pretty clear when you see the fake food work that Mm -hmm. that's about, you know, this transient, this mutability. So I don't think that that's hard to see. But with the, you know, the way that the women are posed, it's like also a a reference to the way that women are often, you know, object in a painting um, and how they're often on the same plane or on the same – presented in the same capacity as a plate of fruit in this, sure. like, consumable, desirable, ripe for the picking way. And I think that, you know, if when sometimes male collectors who are, to begin with, you know, a little bit salacious, as you said, are like, look at that sexy painting, young lady. Mm. I'm like, okay, That's so fun. this that is me holding real. up a mirror to you being like, <laughs> you just said that about a painting. Um, run in reality, if you walk into any – Museum, obviously, there's the yeah. most, the other most um, common genre is the female nude, the reclining nude, you uh-huh. know. So for me, those are kind of just basic um, entry level um, references to art history mixed with this way that advertising can be used to sell something, to, you know, point your decision making into one direction or another, um, convince you that something is related to the good life or sexuality or uh, abundance or, or, you know rich nice stuff and i think that like also buzzfeed isn't an instagram or another like are another um place that we see a lot of imagery and get a lot of information and so then you'll have this how common is the like 10 
fruits and vegetables and fish objects that are really great for your skin to mm -hmm. consume today in your smoothie. And you're like, salmon, number one, good fat. And then all these, like, we're really used to seeing these, like, listicles of things that are good for us to eat. Yeah. And so I kind of love the idea, too, that that's another form of the still life in a way. And so there's a lot of that in, in the work as well. There's, like, yogurt and salmon and avocado and all these things that we kind of associate with, a listicle and um, things that we're used to seeing mixed with these things that also um, are kind of abject. Like the, there's a lot of oysters in the work yeah. um, and a lot of oysters with milk dripping through them, which is like you could just – if you could smell that, you'd know that, <laughs> yeah. would, that would be a nasty moment. Get the fuck out of my room! I'm playing Minecraft! Necessity is the mother of invention. Before I moved to the country and started raising a family, I hadn't a clue what that adage meant. Oh, believe me, I'm not suggesting that one has to move to the country in order to be inventive, resourceful, or creative. I guess what I'm saying is, I did. In the city, with every convenience at my fingertips, it never occurred to me to wing it in the kitchen, to reinvent the wheel, to make do with what I had. Because what I had, grocery-wise, was anything I ever wanted. But in the country, with a hungry cowboy and four kids to feed, I learned very quickly that there's no running to the store real quick if I run out of an important staple. If a key ingredient is missing in my meal preparation, I simply have to wing it. To reinvent the wheel. To make do with what I have. It's an important lesson for any home cook to learn, I just had to move many miles from civilization to learn it. In the coming months, I plan to periodically discuss the concept of buying in bulk, not necessarily as a means of amassing huge quantities of food, but as a means of strategically stocking your pantry for long-term meal preparation, and, in the long run, saving considerable amounts of money. It's taken years and years for me to learn this principle, as I was always the very embodiment of the shop meal-by-meal -meal approach which can work for a single-person household but which has proved to be untenable in my current rural existence. In addition, I'll be talking about growing your own herbs, whether in an outdoor or indoor garden, and show you how much it can expand your cooking repertoire, what a huge difference it can make in the flavor of your cooking, and again, how much money that can save you in the long run. Store-bought herbs are pricey, man. So we have a lot to talk about here, folks. If only I actually knew anything dot then we'd be home free. For now, to keep it simple, I want to share my I'm all out of Hidden Valley Ranch Packet Stand Gummit so what the heck do I do? Ranch dressing recipe with you. As with many of my dishes here, I'll present you with the base recipe, then you can freely add other ingredients here and there to achieve the flavor you like. While it's pretty hard to beat that dad gum green and white store-bought packet, I actually really love the flavor of the from-scratch stuff. Try it and see if you do, too. Can we talk about the sort of <clears throat> arc of this uh, employment of food in the work that you've been doing? And and I'm thinking back to like when we first met, and maybe it was like 2013 or 2014, and the first thing that I saw that you made, which was the star of Larry David. Which is the first thing I ever exhibited. Yeah. Thanks. 
Whoa. Hey. And, thanks, bud. <laughs> oh, I do remember getting to some, I mean, the editors at Vice used to be real lax. Uh, I, do, I did love my editor there, though, Matthew Lifehite, if you're listening. Shout I out love to him. You. Hey, Wonderful. Matt. But he would let me get away with murder. And we went to that Oscar Murillo show at David Zorner. Murder. And I, I somehow managed to put a picture of your art in the middle of a review of another person's show because I was just <laughs> like, I was like, this is a good piece of art for no reason. I remember no, that. Yeah, I just really that's thought really it was. Good. But so you went from that, which is like, I mean, that's this very like pretty cheeky, obvious pun kind of thing, right? It's like it's a star of David, but it's made out of pork. Yeah. And like, you know, oops, that's bad. <laughs> but not to, I'm not being diminutive, but this kind of like big trajectory that went through because thereafter, I remember like... I don't remember when it was, and I can't remember if it was before the bagel or after the bagel, but you, we were having lunch somewhere, and you were like, I'm going to go to my studio, and I think I'm going to make this piece that's a, it's a backpack that's made of challah, and I was like, Chloe, we were on Second I was like, Avenue, Chloe, so don't, I was like, Chloe, don't, <laughs> you were like, <laughs> I'm gonna and, I'm do gonna, it. and I'm going to call it, and I was like, don't do that, <laughs> but you did it, and I, I, I think you made the right decision, but, Thank you. um, and that's where you started to kind of play with this stuff a little bit, I think, more where it became functional and weird and started to go into, even inadvertently, like these accidental audiences who kind mm-hmm. of encountered the work and stuff. And and I wonder if you're getting more explicitly political with them as opposed to these kind of like still very funny puns, but sort of about like, hey, I'm Jewish, what's up? Into like something, <laughs> well, into something. That like, is my like, my, my opening line, you know? <laughs> Catch me on Raya. Hey, I'm Jewish. What's up? <laughs> like, Wait, no, but just kidding, I'm not on Raya. Didn't your anymore. bio used to be a nice Jewish? Yeah, girl? I changed it because so many people I, would write noticed... me annoying messages like, "Hey, nice Jewish boy over here." I just want to say, "Hey, what's up, oh, big yeah. old girl?" I'm like, so I was, I know. Like, I looked at your Twitter earlier to see if it was still that. And now it just says a nice person. Or now it just nice says person. nice person. Yeah. I'm you nice decided person. to stop playing the I'm race still a Jewish card. Girl, I just, <laughs> no, I just, I just, I just want to, you know. I don't but know. but okay. So when you were doing those like carb bags, mm-hmm. like. For I assume that a lot of people listening know what happened there, but that was kind of when Chloe's work sort of exploded into the public consciousness. And can you kind of relate what that experience was like as you were creating these bags? And then yeah, <laughs> I'm really bored of even hearing myself talk about it. But um, Do, if uh, you're not, one. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? What happened was <laughs> I made this bag that Sean warned me not to make. Actually, it was the bagel that first went viral. The bagel but, one first. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, my friend India. You were doing a sequel to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I then I then made a solo show of these bread bags because <laughs> of the interest that this bagel generated. Sure. Um, also, I didn't had never had a solo show, so I was like, "What do well, I who do?" Wouldn't, who wouldn't do that? Yeah. It would be insane. I wish I had that. more of those. Made more of those pieces because I wish I had one. Hmm. But anyway, um, I made a bagel bag that looked really realistic, and it had Chanel. Um, logos on it and it looked like a purse so my friend and Dio wore it to an actual Chanel dinner which was she was photographed at it and then that image of her wearing this bagel bag with a Chanel symbol on it at a Chanel dinner went viral and all these fashion um, magazines and websites and Twitters and whatever believed it was real and they blew up with all of these um, articles being like Chanel releases a bagel bag much to the dismay of the gluten-free customers and all of these yeah. crazy hilarious um, articles came out and then I admitted it was me that made it and it was an art piece it was dysfunctional it wasn't actually Chanel and um, the reveal yeah and the image of it is so photogenic and it was so um, capable of becoming like this nomadic image that was reblogged over and over and yeah. then it became this thing that was you know um, embraced by fashion and by just like blog culture in general and Twitter and people that like funny images of stuff and it wasn't necessarily um, you know 
exclusive to the art world. In fact, it hadn't even entered the art world until it had this, the show that exhibited it, right? So that was really interesting to me too. I was working with Brad at the time, Tramel, who like was doing the jogging. And to me, it was really interesting to see what happens when you encounter an accidental audience and people who are not primed to, um, you know, receive or, 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 view the image of a, of a piece of work, you know, on a white wall in a gallery, yeah, understanding or, or understand it's, that it, it, it's, it's a, an artwork or its relationship to the history of art or whatever. If you have no context and you just see an image of a thing that looks really realistic, it's a completely different viewing experience. Yeah, I, and get, really, to... I get really mean comments on my YouTube channel because <laughs> I, I put like video art pieces That's up on great. there. That's great. That's so good. But they're usually linked to something in pop culture or like they're... a a play on a this thing or a that thing and meant to kind of look like it and then just like the meanest shit. Good. That's so much more <laughs> interesting than putting it out into the art world where they're like, they yeah, have, we know. It's art. all it's, have thumbs it. down. But wait, were you... That's so interesting. Did you learn... So all of like the backpacks and the Star of David and a lot of the new work, these are all like casting. Are they like... I don't know. I don't. They're know. they're urethane. Some of them are foam. Urethane. Foam it. Mm-hmm. Um, were complete you... sculptor. Because you were working for Brad for a while, and were you? Is that where you learned that technique, or no. did you come in and be like, Brad, I need you to that's do this why, because it would be better for you? That's why Brad. That's why I, that he like hired me to be his, you know, assistant at the time was because I was you were so that. handy. With I was those? learning that technique already, and I was making keys for him when he was doing those like um, vacuum sealed bags. That the had, drug art. Yeah, <laughs> so funny, so good. But he really taught me a lot about this idea of like using the internet as a place to spread an image as opposed mm-hmm. to just trying to get it into galleries. For example, like when I was 23 and I started making yeah. work, um, which feels like so long ago, but, you know, isn't. But, um, I, you know, you don't know where to begin when you're a young artist. You're like, oh, wait, can I put this in a ga- – who's going to put this in a gallery? And well, then you and have this people, access and to – And are people being genuine in their, like, interest or this or that or, like, what – everybody fucking wants something. So yeah, it's kind so of it's like... cool to kind of just put on the internet and be like, like, set it off, like – Little like a little bird, learn to fly. Mm-hmm. Go off into the internet. Mm-hmm. Little piece, little JPEG. Where will you land? Into on, on whose like timeline yeah. shall you be? And it's that's a really <coughs> interesting thing because that's led to a lot of the viewership of my work. And yeah. you know now it can be you know viewed in in a gallery setting, of course, which is validating or whatever. Great, but it's really interesting to see what happens when it travels and it's you know unclear if it's a joke or it's not if it's or it's a piece of work or if it's yeah. you know that's what's so interesting about your work being on YouTube and people not necessarily knowing that it's video art or understanding how to receive that and being like I hate this and <laughs> thumbs down <laughs> I love that it's so interesting which is still it's still a totally valid I accept those as critiques <laughs> actually <laughs> I actually think it's so much more interesting I I like that I want people to be like wait that moment of confusion is more interesting than someone just nodding their head with, you know, their thumb on their chin, be like, ah, art. It's more interesting to have the combination. But to answer your question about the work being more political and less about puns. Yes. Y- yeah, naturally, because. But it's still super funny. Like, well, thanks. In a, but in like a, I like, how do you say this to somebody without it sounding, I'm not being shitty, but like just that there's like a maturation. I'm not in being the, shitty is a great way to preface anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not being shitty, but. No offense. No, I just literally mean it's like, like any other artist over the course of four years, like visibly like the nuance in the, like what I've loved watching in your work is like how layered and dense the comedy has gotten and that it's like this crazy shit that it takes me like. I laugh at first when I look at it and then I'm like kind of upset (laughs) and then I have to – but I'm really like spending time with it and it's gone like super quickly through these phases that take people, you know, I'm 
I feel like I'm in the middle of it. I feel like a bunch of people in the middle. We were trying to figure out like, oh, what's my like sense of humor or something? And yeah. it seems like you arrived at it just through the kind of um, like tireless production of a shitload of work. <laughs> like, and that's, you can go that route or you can do what most people do, which is like the crippling anxiety of just being like, I don't know if what I'm doing is funny. And it's like, you right. were just kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to make a ton of shit. And yeah. it seems like you got to your voice pretty quickly. It's learning in public, where... actually. It's so interesting yeah. because, and and thanks for that. Um, it's I've had no chance to make work that didn't get shown because since that kind of stuff started going right. off, um, I've had a bunch of shows and I had to make a bunch of work with those shows. And I'm such a crazy, like, over worker slash ambitious idiot that I can't stop making so much stuff and I say yes to everything. So I'm like, yeah, I'll make a thousand paintings for your massive gallery <laughs> in a month and a half. Sure, no problem. So in that, when you're in that state of production, you don't really have time to look at it too long and be like, is this funny or is this interesting or anything? You just kind of make stuff. Well, it seems like you have an instinct though. Like you know at this point that you can, that you have certain things in your toolkit that you know you can do well. Yeah, I mean, painting is something that's so interesting because, like, when I first moved here and we be, I, and we became friends and, like, I was making those sculptures, I was shy to show paintings because I, I felt like I was getting I was getting better at painting or learning a lot, but I didn't think I was good enough or whatever that means. Hey, listen. This is staff only. I'd like to apologize. I'm not sure what happened, but for the next two minutes there are these weird clicks in the recording that are annoying as hell. Please bear with us. There is this idea from from coming out of school that there's this technical ability you should have or be a complete naive painter and like do whatever like make monochromes. Yeah, white straight guy <laughs> stuff where you go bloop 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 on a canvas or like a you know, hundred canvases at once. Do you know who a white straight guy goes bloop 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 on a canvas that I fucking love is oh. though Ben Dowell. Have you ever seen his paintings? Show me. Probably uh, where? I don't know. I'll show them to you afterwards. Where but Ben at? makes these uh, unprimed canvases where he just puts like six fucking inches of these beautiful trowel streaks of like just huge chunks of beautiful paint and they're just like these giant rainbows and you walk in and the whole gallery smells like oil paint that's and nice it's just that's like nice this. it sounds like joe bradley or something no no shame to the bloop 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 that's nice but like this is maybe, more like a oh that's nice it's like a, maybe it, being a woman you're like you feel this need to over yeah um, compensate for the fact that people don't want to take you seriously at first glance or 10th glance even. Yeah, I don't so, mean to be shitty, but I'm just <laughs> <laughs> But you're a girl, so you should do better than that. But if I did bloop bloop, people would be like, yeah, no. okay, cool, sorry, naive painter. But if a guy does bloop bloop, it's like, ah. Do you feel like a compulsion, and I, I mean this honestly, to be super technically proficient? I think it's because I because the sculptures I'm are able to be so I nuts right yeah but the paint that's easier for me than the painting the painting is like it's getting so um I'm learning so much every time yeah. so much like now I'm painting I started painting last night at two a.m. with my kitten trying to paw at my paintbrush mm. um I started one last night that's like completely a reflection which is what I started doing paintings like that in my exhibition in Paris where there's like a portrait but then there's like a reflection of it oh, okay. like they're leaning on a mirror yeah. and that is so challenging. Um, and so at this point, I'm just kind of like, at this point, I'm almost jerking off to my painting abilities. I'm not even that good at painting, but I'm like, look, I'm, get, I'm getting better. So like, there's this idea of like exercising your ability in a way that's like learning in public. And I think as a <laughs> Okay. I think they went away. Jesus Christ. Thank you. Sometimes you just gotta be like, oh, like I am. Yeah. Um, and just, that's like, that's a woman I feel like you're kind of trained yeah. to be like over the top trying to show, not prove something, but trying to, you know, be technically proficient at something or be yeah. like capable um, and make an achieved painting. And, you know, I think it would be really nice after this, my next show, I'm going to do some things that are like 
much more painterly and un, kind of unlearned, like my literally me stuff was, where it's like unlearned, mm-hmm. just sort of like feeling paint for the, fun. Are those the paintings of you where you're dressed like you're in yeah. the painting standing it's next to it? painting of myself that I would complete in one day while I was wearing the thing that I'm wearing in the painting and, and then, then take a photo it. of that. Got That's it. a very George Bushian. When you look at George <laughs> Bush's amazing paintings, he does some stuff like a little bit like that. Too. I like how it's. I like how people. I really like people who are like um, hella extra woke. Who, if you say that George Bush's paintings are funny and good, they're like he's a fucking war criminal, and it's like I know that. I'm just talking. It's first just of all, hilarious. So many painters and people that we look up to are and also love. war criminals. Yeah, slash we're, <laughs> we're we're in a context in a time where like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, we, we can't even go there. But I do. I think George Bush is a great painter because there's this naivety that's really nice. But he's trying. He's yeah. trying and he's learning and he's actually not bad. And it's interesting. I really liked when they found that all of the portraits that he had painted of world leaders, oh, who he should image. have a photo of. When Google the image is so cute. <laughs> so clearly George have... W. going on Google image to find photos of world leaders. I know. Choosing he... the first photo. Like go on BFA or something. He... Just like scroll down. BFA. Scroll down. Uh, could you say your name into the, into the camera? Can you just like text the dudes or like ask them for a photo of them? Yeah. Like it's just insane. But I think that's really funny. Yeah. It's actually kind of net arty to do Google image result paintings. I bet he definitely prints them off, draws a grid on them. Yeah. And then draws a grid on the canvas and then uses that to, to draw it out. You know what I'm saying? The grid about? is probably like he probably folds the paper in four to yeah. get like it's, it's such a bad grid that it's only four <laughs> squares, cool. rectangles. Yeah. It's not even. He's really frustrated because their face is slightly off center and so it makes it cute. hard to do. I went to the show in Dallas. To what? I went to the George Bush art show in Dallas. He had an art show in Dallas? Yep. Where was it? At the George Bush Museum. He's like Jamali. It's so funny. On the walls, it would say things like, and yeah, it would say things on the wall like, Please remember that the president is only, or like the, the ex-president has just only started. just started painting and this is just his beginning. Like, it's just like so self-excusing and adorable. That's ridiculous. I bought George Bush socks at the gift shop oh of his gosh. exhibition <laughs> to prove my... Wait, do you know who Jamali is? Is Jamali real? Okay. A bunch of people that I know have worked for this person named Jamali. Jamian. <laughs> no, not Jamian. <laughs> not Jamian. Uh, Jamali. One name. The man, his his name is Jamali, and he owns or owned a gallery in Chelsea called Jamali. And he only shows... Jumanji? Jamali. And he only shows his own work. And his whole family works for him. And all of their last names are also Jamali, but he makes them call him Jamali. And I have all these friends who've been art handlers. I'm obsessed with this? It's like when you move to New York and you can't find an art handling gig, they have such a high turnover at Jamali that... All these people that I know have worked there, and I'm why not, do they have a high turnover? I think because it's insane to work there. Because it's like the gallery director and the curator are the artist whose work is being installed. It's just it sounds like a nightmare. Oh my god, I really want to follow that model and make that yeah be my model. Wise gallery, just yeah, just that. You could have wait. You have a sister, right? Yes. Twin sister? No. No, just a sister. Sister. She could run the gallery, and she could call you wise. We could just call each other wise. Yeah, we could do that. My <laughs> cat. I'm training my cat to learn how to wash my brushes for me. What? Oh, um, yeah. Paint brushes. Yeah. I was like, your toothbrushes? No, paint brushes. He's he was trying to help art handle last night. It's a very large canvas. He couldn't quite carry it yet, but I'm te- I'm gonna teach him how to ship and handle, and he'll he'll learn. The cast of characters mayonnaise for the love of Pete, not Miracle Whip, sour cream, buttermilk or regular milk, garlic, Italian, flat leaf, 
parsley, chives, and salt. Other optional ingredients, fresh dill, Worcestershire sauce, cayenne pepper, paprika, fresh oregano, Tabasco. Now come. Come to my window. Crawl inside. Wait by the light of the moon. Sorry. Okay, first, start with one to two cloves of garlic. And honestly, I'm almost leaning toward using just one clove these days. Remember, it will remain raw and raw garlic is extremely strong. The past few times I've made it, the garlic has been a little too pronounced for me. And you can always start light and add more if you think it needs it. Also, keep in mind that the longer the dressing sits in the fridge, the more strong the garlic flavor will get. I inherited my dad's gastrointestinal tract. I'm gonna be one of those seniors that has to eat dinner at 3.45 p.m. Just smash the garlic with the bottom of a can or a glass, then peel off the papery shell. Begin by chopping up the garlic pretty finely. Then, sprinkle about 1 8 to 1 quarter teaspoon, or a healthy pinch, of kosher salt on top. Regular salt would also work fine in a pinch. In a pinch. Gracious, do I ever crack myself up? By the way, Morton's makes kosher salt and it can be found in most supermarkets. Kosher salt is not kosher. Kosher salt is used in the preparation of kosher meats, and it's characterized by flat flakes that easily adhere to the surface of foods. In this case, though, it will act as an abrasive. I'm sorry I can't keep saying this entire recipe. It is insanely long. Now, do you think, and I was wondering, so going back to like your sense of humor and things like that, Canada has a great history of very funny people and putting them out into the world. My parents included. Yeah? Yeah. Do you think that there's something at all about the experience of being Canadian that makes people funny? And I ask people this sometimes. I ask people that when they're from the Midwest too. I wouldn't ask some dickhead from like Austin that. Do you right. think there's like a real Austin sense of humor? Like, no, I don't care. That would be ostentatious. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, P.S. Earlier, uh, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were kind of on a good riff, but it, it took everything in my power to bite my tongue and not say so much for the tolerant lactose when you were talking about my lactose. My painting is called Lactose Tolerance. The lactose really big tolerance. painting. Yeah. You also, did you not call one of them, do not go gently into, into that hidden, hidden valley. valley? Go yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to. But, okay, so Canada. Because you, you knew a bunch of funny Canadians that I totally, love, too. You knew yeah. the You knew Scott, Paul, and Derek. I know the, Scott, Paul, and Derek. Love them. They're not the fake injury party boys anymore. They've grown up. They're now. All grown up. They're. They, they don't call themselves that anymore. But were you around a bunch of funny people? Totally. Yeah? Totally. I think growing up in Canada is is definitely um, inherently... Closer to the microphone. I there think it go. definitely is inherently funny to grow up in Canada because it's just <clears throat> like the things that make that... are so, The images that are associated with Canadia or mm-hmm. Canadiana are like moose, maple syrup, mm. hockey pucks, <clears throat> oot in a boot... Sorry about that. Like, the, just the images that we grew up in, in Quebec especially. Like, Quebec is literally clown culture. It's a giant circus. 
It's so circusy. It's crazy. It's I like, almost said the state of Quebec, but it's a province. Province. It's very circusy. I don't know why. Like every TV show or cartoon character or mascot or every single thing is like clown related or some sort of juggling mm-hmm. thing, and it's it's so clowny and. The aesthetic of just like if you walk into any store or library or anything, there's like stripes and polka dots. Like it's so clowny. I don't know why. It's very clown. It's not. That's not particularly funny. But it's like there's something bad about that in a great way. But it's I, there's something you know silly and jolly about being Canadian because you know you're not America <laughs> and you know you're not. It's not like that serious. There's no eagles and like the imagery. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a moose yeah. and a loon. A loon. A loon and a Looney and a toonie. That's a our that's our dollar and our two dollar. Here's coin. a loony. Go get yourself a bag oh, of milk. Oh, lend me a loon and turn me a toon, would ya? Like it's insane. <laughs> Are you quoting um, Wheels Ontario? Yeah. Oh my god. I showed somebody that a long time ago. Uh, I showed them that because they were from Canada, and I thought they're gonna love this. Like Wheels Ontario. This is so funny. What show was that on? What it's was Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll. So good. But. It's one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. And I was like, what do you think of this? And they were just like, this is, in, this is offensive to me. What? And I was it's like, so <laughs> inoffensive. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I love it so much. It's so accurate. It's really funny, too, because it's based on... Who do you on... think you are? PM Stephen Harper? <laughs> Russian? <laughs> oh, you're going to be late for marriage equality class. <laughs> it's so good. It's so accurate. It's like, it's just really based on... Um, What's the show Drake was on? Uh, Degrassi. It's like based but on Degrassi inverse, and Justin right? Bieber. Ev- yeah. Everyone is in a wheelchair but except I think it's we're the really new PC. kid at the school. <laughs> yeah, because we're really PC in Canada. <laughs> they call them legs. <laughs> See you later, legs. <laughs> it's so funny. It's it's so true because like people are not, I mean, large generalizing, but I didn't grow up with a lot of bullying or too much. Like It's not nasty. It's quite nice. And we say sorry all the time. I have to check myself. I say sorry three times in emails where I'm not even apologizing for anything. I just say, yeah. sorry, how are you? Sorry for the email. <laughs> like, my, crazy. My, my youngest sister, who's, I love her to death, but she's always been a little bit like overly apologetic for stuff. And then she moved to she lived in Vancouver, BC for several years and it was way worse. Yeah, it's bad. It gets really, really crazy. People are saying sorry. If somebody bumps into me, I say sorry. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to unlearn that as a woman because it's really no, actually a bad quality. For example, in emails or when you're having like saying, a professional. Or saying just. Saying in just email, and sorry. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I say sorry so much. But I think generally it's quite nice and friendly. Like this is surface level. Obviously, there's so much more going yes. on than I care to talk about right Clearly. now. But there's like quite a nice jolly silly experience i mean at least for me i had i grew up watching funny stuff mm-hmm. doing funny stuff and um it just does it's not as i don't know it's quite protected it's like safe so that you have time to be jolly and it's cool like the whole country lives within like one hour of america yeah i mean it's really it's like <laughs> crazy how close it is to the states and feels at times so different yeah can we talk about your book that came out a little while ago? Yeah. Because I have a question for you. Oh. And I left a little pause there because we don't have to put it on the thing if we don't want to. Okay. But Jeffrey Deitch wrote an essay in it called Concrete Comedy. Yeah. Does he know that's a book already? I don't think so. <laughs> that's what, I, Actually, it's so funny that we talk about I don't think so. I think that maybe 
we had dinner <laughs> and I said a lot of things, a lot of words. And I think that in his notes, maybe he heard me say concrete. You probably wrote it down. Poetry we, or concrete um, comedy too. But yeah, because we, of the we class. talked about that a lot. Well, yeah, yeah. But I think he he knows what concrete poetry is, and I think maybe he like I don't know. I didn't. I don't remember That's if hilarious. I said it or not. But we had dinner. He took notes. We talked a lot leading up to you know his involvement in the book. And um, when he wrote the essay, I was not going to be like. There's a book called that. Doesn't matter. It's two words, but that is funny. Yeah. Um, well, it also was. A, I think the point of the book, whether he knows it or not, was to put that into the lexicon. Right. Like it should be something that people people are able should to be saying it. And I, think I was that just makes very sense. curious because I haven't gotten to get a copy of the book yet, and I didn't <gasps> read it. And I was trying. I would have like, brought. It, I would have brought it for you. It's okay. I'll oh get my it god! I totally time. just assumed that you would have had it because I feel like I've peddled it to everyone. <laughs> oh my. Oh my goodness. But you had a couple. Who else wrote? Because the person who wrote your press release Loretta. for this show, Loretta? Yeah, she writes all my press releases. Oh, really? Loretta, director at Arsenal Contemporary. Where's that? On Bowery across from New Museum. Okay. She is a Canadian. We've been friends for eight years. We've lived together, been through it all. And then she moved to New York recently, doing an incredible job curating at Arsenal. Um, and she, I wouldn't do a show without having her input because I, we've known each other since I was in school, since we were in school, and so she's she really understands my work. From, since you were in grade 10. Since <laughs> grade, grade 11 or 12 even. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but so she's amazing and she wrote the essay, which is really, really good. Yeah. I really love that. I was trying to get people to let me write their press releases for them for a while. Um, but the Ooh, thing was... Is, I'm open to that. But they couldn't look at it before the gallery sent That's it That's not nice, Sean. I wouldn't do anything mean. It I'm not shitty. Like, I just wrote you a shitty press release. I don't mean to be shitty, but on Thursday, October 28th, so-and-so has a show opening at this gallery. That's the press release. <laughs> <laughs> not trying to be... No think, offense, I but I, I have a I've, show opening. I don't think I've ever said I don't mean to be shitty before something. I think you should start I meant it. In, I meant it earnestly that I Yeah, was, you really I, didn't mean to be shitty. I didn't mean to be shitty. <laughs> You're not being shitty. But no maybe one. we should think about you writing me a surprise press release for my show in May. Where's that? It's at Gallery Sebastian Bertrand in Geneva, Switzerland. Oh, Geneva. Genève. Genève. Every show I do is in a French-speaking. I country. noticed that. Yeah. Is that a? Uh, do you think they just have sort of like a network where they're looking at the work that each other's showing, I don't thinking, think "Hey, so. I like this." I don't think so. I get it. I think it's a coincidence. You think it's a coincidence? Well, it's not a coincidence that Almine is French-speaking. And I met her. She came into contact with my work through people that came into contact with it through Sebastian, who is French-speaking slash Swiss. Mm -hmm. So that made sense. But I don't know if I somehow have a, my next show in, in a French-speaking colony. That will be that will be a coincidence. Mm -hmm. It could. Yeah, I don't know why I just thought of this, but do you remember when? I don't know if he does this anymore, but the first day of Art Basel Miami. <laughs> Sorry, I'm chewing ice. Uh, Josh Citarella will post um, an Instagram picture of like a, a Swiss flag, like on the Alps, and it'll be like just I'm got here. just got to <laughs> Basel. Where is everybody? Oh my god, that's so funny! I'm actually gonna do that this year. <laughs> the dumbest funny. I'm gonna steal thing. that joke. That's really funny. That's really funny. <laughs> but what's funny too is that no one will get that. A lot of people don't get it because a lot of people think that it's a week and they don't understand that it's a fair. Mm -hmm. That's why last year I made a Snapchat filter because Snapchat allowed me to do that. You made, and it was art. You invented one? Yeah. When Snapchat was still a cool thing, which I think it is with the kids. Maybe your teens and Gen Z still like Snapchat. But they probably do. I've kind of logged off. Yeah. Um, you could do a geotag. And like it would be a, an image based on the proximity. Oh, it would like drop something into it? Well, you couldn't make – like there were some – there were specific geotags. Like for example, there would be maybe a um, – if you were at – 
Miami Art Basel, there would be like Art Basel with like little palm trees or like a painting or something. Or if you were at, um, if you were at, I don't know, Best Buy, maybe there'd be like a Best Buy symbol or something. Like there's like mm. a image that was associated to the the place that the, proxi- the the location that you're at. So I was kind of hired to do one for Snapchat, and I wrote Art Basel, and it had pesto and basil and garlic and and stuff like that. Nice. The little Italian flag in the Olive Garden font. Were people happy about that? I don't know. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think people who got it thought it was funny. And I think there's a lot of people who think it's pronounced Art Basil. Yeah. And so they don't p- probably get the joke. That's pretty exciting, though. I wish it was pronounced Art Basil. We can just, you can just pronounce it that way. Yeah. We have some basil plants, but they're not doing very well. Oh, that's too bad. I picked all the leaves off because I wanted to make this thing with a lot of basil, and Best I didn't know that they need a Best lot of surface area for light i don't know that either so um the stalks are very healthy they just have these tiny little tyrannosaurus rex arm leaves yeah i have a really hard time keeping plants alive so wish me luck with the cat anyway <laughs> i think they're a little more a cat's more resilient it'll yeah. it'll hunt yeah it's hunting around it's hunting the i'm scared it's gonna hunt my art supplies and stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, they they i don't want to associate i don't want to sign your cat He's, yeah until it's Ready to prepare ch- to, to, you know, not to explain choose. to me how they identify, but not to choose. They, you know, were born mm-hmm. male, mm-hmm. but we'll see what they, what they, what they let me know. I also was trying to ask them their name. What's your damn name? It took me so long to come up with a name for this Pluto. Guy. Pluto. Is that because you're upset about the uh, planet? Uh, the planet's no longer a planet. There's or that. Is a planet again? I don't even know if it's a planet again. Okay. If it's not, then I think that if they wanted to name it a planet, there's so many other things that have to be named a planet, so it's like confusing. But it's also the Lord of the Underworld. No. Oh. And it's also the dog in Mickey Mouse, which is interesting because if he's a dog. Oh, he's a bad guy. No, that's what Pluto. Th- no, Pluto is the dog. Pluto's the dog. But also, so is the <sighs> other dog. So one's a dog's dog. It's like a slave. Yeah. I mean, so I'm interested like, in that dynamic. It's like Sir Didymus and Ambrosius in Labyrinth. Sir Didymus is like a sentient dog who dresses like a little three musketeer and he rides another dog. That's so weird. Through the bog of eternal stench. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't the really... The bog of eternal stench, interestingly enough, Pluto is also the, the, is the equivalent to Hades, but in Roman mythology. Wow. It's the lord of the underworld. Whoa. I love bogs. I love dogs. Mm-hmm. I love cats. <laughs> I keep on like, without hesitation, returning to the subject of my tiny baby kitten, but we can get back to art. I wanted to ask a quick question. Did I or did I not see you on a phone in Master of None? Yeah, that's me. Okay, I thought so. Well, Aziz and Eric wrote a lot of that season when we were on vacation together last summer. We went to um, Formentera, Spain, and mm-hmm. then we went to Puglia in Italy. So then they just wrote a TV season where they got to go on vacation again. Yeah. That's smart. That's basically like that. that. And they got to eat pasta because they love Italian food. But we were in Puglia and, the, and Alan came too and a bunch of the people that write the show were there. So we were like, right, they were, we, they were writing in the house we were staying at. Did you get to throw any ideas against the wall and see what stuck? Not even. They just were taking ideas from things that were actually happening. Okay. So much of that is based on stuff that actually happened that trip. It's actually Mm. insane. And it's so funny to watch it. And it's so good. And they won awards. Yes. And it's really funny, yeah, that I was on the phone. (laughs) I thought that we were, we were watching, Claire and I were watching it. Now I'm an actress. I I was like, that's wise. I see her on the phone. That's a photo from Formentera from that exact trip. It's me like pouring champagne into my mouth from in a little beachy nook um mm. that's a photo from that actual trip that's so much fun when art imitates life when tv imitates vacation, vacation. <laughs> we take good vacations so 
It's only natural. That's very cool. Um, I remember that just reminded me of when I I did uh, I was doing stand up at Andrew Quo and Scott Reader show at Marlboro Gallery. Yep, I came to that. Yeah, you showed up with, with Eric. Eric. Yeah, and I almost had I and Aziz. I almost I didn't know if Aziz was there. I could oh. only I could see Eric above everybody, Probably. and I almost threw up because I was Aww. like I just turned around and I was like, why the fuck is Eric where <laughs> I'm in here watching this? But um, <laughs> back to your art. Is there? I'm curious to kind of bring this whole thing home. So you've got all of these technical prowess. You've got this developing and really cool critical sense of humor and all these things. Is there stuff, because you sort of hinted at future works in painting where you're going to take on these other kind of techniques or let yourself be a little bit more yeah. experimental. Is there media that you really feel like you want to use but is kind of intimidating? Well, I and just... And I'm asking that for listeners who are like younger and are just like, I want to try this fucking thing, but... Mm. Yeah, um, well, intimidating, I think... Painting is really intimidating. Mm-hmm. And so every time I start a painting, it is intimidating, you know, because I'm – and I think it's intimidating to do something that's not technically achieved even because it's like – I don't know. It's it's hard to explain, but there's – when you get used to doing something and you feel com- comfortable in doing that thing, it's time to do something else probably or like at least try something – in my mind because I'm such a megalomaniac and I'm like, I'm going to do everything. So if I get good at doing like faces, then I'm like, well, what's harder than that? Upside down face and a reflection with hands. Okay, hands are easy now. Now what? Uh, doing something that's not technically achieved. And so that to me is intimidating to do something that's like uh, doing a one-day painting and knowing when to stop and yes. all of that. But um, in my show that I just did, the most intimidating part was um, the sound and video. Because mm-hmm. I did, there was a sound piece in the installation room. That you were playing on the... Synth. On the synth. My on, boyfriend and I put it together. On the uh, Daniel, grass. Amazing composer now um on the grass yeah and um there's my voice and i'm actually it would have been great to have this microphone because i was doing it in asmr voice mm. on my iphones oh my yeah iPhone i don't headphones. this doesn't have the. i've tried to do it on binaural. several previous episodes but it doesn't have the i got thing. a binaural app oh. so i was using my iphone headphones and like cupping the microphone and just doing this binaural audio thing mm. whispering my own tweets and my own poetry which is once again tweet like and um a lot of them are you know um, titles of the works and so there's this audio in the room where it's this combination of synth sounds and sounds that daniel helped or, or chose that were sort of like cave dripping weird mm-hmm. sounds because it feels like you're in a sort of like a an enclosed a dripping dank space. layer dank it's true and then there's my voice kind of whispering and also in in berlin in the summer i performed with varg who's an incredible swedish techno Genius ambient noise oh, I you meant lord, to, not the, the not the not the, the Norwegian Burzen. black metal. No, Varg, um, Jonas from Varg, who's on, who's an amazing. That name is like John. There, it's fine. Yeah, it's it means a, wolf. Ooh, is there a American name that means wolf? An English name? Wolfgang. Wolf. I guess wolf is a wolf. name. There's a fucking name, wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wolfgang. 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 Yeah. A, a gang of wolves. Yeah, it's a cute name. Wolfgang Puck, great guy. What a dude. Anyway, so I performed with Varg um, on stage with this really like academic, serious techno bro, like taking itself super seriously, Berlin um, experimental music mm-hmm. um, um, festival at Kraftwerk, which is like massive power plant. And like it was really, really crazy. Actually, actually Wolfgang Tillmans performed live. Mm. It was crazy. But it was like so intimidating. It was all like 
white dudes in black wearing all black and like being all serious not not ever smiling like on drugs standing still to like droney noise music like, mm-hmm. and then i come on with my videos playing in the background with like rose petals and like myself smiling and like whispering things like my interests include lunch europe like i'm just whispering shit from my so i was performing my own poetry live in that asmr voice and i love the idea of saying not calming things in a calming voice mm-hmm. Like, tell me my skin is soft and give me your password immediately. <laughs> um, and so that to me was super intimidating, but like all the more rewarding because it was something I hadn't done. Mm-hmm. So the idea of doing sound and music and actually the songs that I did with Varga on his album, which got a really great review on Pitchfork and Pitchfork was even like, we really like the song with Chloe. <laughs> so it's so mm-hmm. funny to be able to like, you know, put a paw into a different um, genre or like worlds completely in music. It's so insane. Is that a phrase? No, but I'm in cat. I'm a cat mom now, so I have paws. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was really intimidating and fun. So I think in the future I'm going to do more stuff with sound or music and you know um, the poetry. Sound music. The sound of music. Well, I mean, the whole show arguably is like Swiss. That's pretty much the theme. It's like Swiss Alpi mm-hmm. sound of music stuff. But I think I might venture more into that, and um, that's intimidating, but seems really fun. You just kind of do the damn thing. Don't yeah, worry too much about it. That's it. Like I, I haven't even had a moment to do something that I didn't exhibit mm-hmm. in a really long time. I, like there's very few things that I've made that I didn't then ship off to their respective gallery homes. Or so it's it's not like I have much time to experiment. But that's what I really want to do is do stuff that I haven't done that I'm not comfortable doing that like feels like scary or weird or, or uh, you know. Like, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. And I think that would be a really interesting place to, to go. And I think it'd be funnier, too. I think it's like, well, I, I do think it'd be funny if I fail. If, if I do something and it's like yeah. kind of awkward and cringeworthy, like maybe that's enjoyable because it's funny and it's not like polished. And so I, I don't want to go too far in like the polished things looking technically achieved place. But I'm really happy with how the show, show turned out. Um, the cowhide stuff was another thing, too. Like, I, basically, I'm like, wait, I want to make furniture because I made these cowhide sculptures. Once again, with actually, I thought of you a lot because um, the whole idea for me was like the milk, the fake milk dripping down the cowhide on those plinths is because it's that's the most abject thing I could think of. It's like yeah. milk on cowhide is so sickening, you know? So like <laughs> nasty. And um, then I was thinking, wow, it'd be really funny to have like a cowhide couch with like dripping milk. I mean, it's so cannibalistic mm. and nasty and gross. So I'm like, maybe I should make some... Right now I'm designing a cat tower hmm. so I can have like a little cat tower for my cat that's also a sculpture. That's cool. So I just went to a show that was in a cat tower. In a cat tower? Yeah. The whole show? Uh-huh. Was it a John Rippenhoff experience? It was Christine Navin is the artist's name, and it's this guy, Philip Hinge. He has a cat tower in his, just in his apartment in Ridgewood, and he curates these mini shows. And they're oh, my actually, God. They're very, they're very interesting. That is really interesting. It's like really... Uh, it Can you send really that to cool me? Show. I'm really interested yeah. in cat related art right now. It was it was cool. They just did a, they just did a gallery expansion. Um, so the top <laughs> nest that the cat can go in. This was the first show that used the um, this, the annex space. Wow! So oh my god! I love that. <laughs> Referring to the cat tower spaces as oh, it was explained oh to me god. like with complete seriousness. Like, well, we've done an expansion, and this is the first time that an artist has you know put work in the in the I'm ancillary space. Really into that. Yeah. I had um, I have I had two toilets in my studio, and I took one out. So I could make it into like a spray boothy thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I have this toilet in my studio, and uh, you know I could throw it out. It's heavy, but I could find a way to do that. But then I realized so many artists have used the toilet as a 
as a site of work, you know, Urs Fischer, Mauricio Catalan, and obviously Marcel Duchamp. And so I instead filled the toilet with a lot of fake fruit and grapes and sausages, and it looked really like a like a symposium-esque kind of bacchanal moment mm -hmm. of like a like an Italian you know, charcuterie board of of wine Dionysus-related mm -hmm. imagery. And I decided to call it the um, Fountain Contemporary, uh, the tiniest gallery in the Lower East Side. And mm. I was, you know, I was obviously the first artist that I invited to do a small show in there. Yeah, like Jamali. Yeah, just like Jamali. And so I should invite another artist to do another a group, another show in the t inside of the toilet. That's cool. Um, which I think would be great. Yeah. So, um, if you think you know, maybe I should get curating on that too. Tiny yeah, yeah. group show in a t in a toilet. I was just helping. Oh man, okay, maybe he won't kill me. No, he'll get mad. Anyways, uh, Michael Welsh. I was helping him make some toilet art, and I don't mean like potty, like potty humor. I mean like we were physically toilet using art. a toilet to make some stuff, and it was really fun. And it's going to be in a show at uh, Interstate. Oh, in, cool. Like, January. Good. I mean, I think it's interesting that the toilet. Is we all just want to jump in there a, right now. Is a, is a reoccurring theme in art. Uh-huh. You know, that's the most, that's like potty humor mm -hmm. to the most fancy degree. Yeah. This guy, Patrick Rock, that I know, uh, he used to have his openings. He had a, it was not a toilet that had ever been used, but he had purchased a toilet and that's what um, the drinks were served out of. Oh, that's nice. There would just nice. be a, a bowl just filled with ice and like sangria that's or nice. whatever else he would make and you would scoop it out of this very, very clean potty. Yeah. Sort of forced a degree of humility to everyone. Wow, you know? yeah, <laughs> you're doing this. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that toilet because I actually I thought maybe I should put it on my roof and fill it with, that's a very Etsy thing to do, but like fill it with soil and plant some plants in it, maybe a basil plant, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with T-Rex arms like yours mm -hmm. for future pesto endeavors. But um, I don't know what to do with it. So it's just sitting there full of fake fruit. Hmm. Maybe I should fill it with pasta and make it a sculpture. That would be cool. I would think I would have a lot of trouble figuring out what kind of pasta to put in it, though. That's always the struggle. Mm -hmm. That's always the. I have three that I go, that are my go-to pasta sculpture work. I have four. The number one easiest and fettuccine. I think fettuccine with Alfredo sauce mm -hmm. looks really good. I grate plastic with a cheese grater, yeah. and because the plastic is super, the, the the sauce plastic is super hot for the first few minutes that it's curing, the grated cheese which is also plastic, melts into the hot plastic in a way that is not unlike – in fact, it's very similar to the way that cheese melts into pasta. So it's like so much like cooking. The other one I do is tomato sauce with a meatball. Mm -hmm. Another one is pesto, real nice. Um, and then I love doing a lasagna. Maybe I should do like a huge lasagna inside of a toilet. That would be cool. You could make it very – be very thick lasagna. Yeah, my show I did in Montreal in last year that actually opened a year ago today in Montreal um, was all sort of Olive Garden imagery, pasta, rigatoni, party, and there was pasta everywhere and like little stacks of lasagna just like neatly plopped onto ledges and there was caprese salads just you know yeah. spread on a on a frame or on the ground so. I want to return to that. That was that was so short lived. I did that show and then I immediately started on this show for Almin. So maybe I should go back to some caprese jokes. Yeah, we just made uh, we make lasagna every Halloween instead of going out and spooky. Being Do you hand it out to kids? No, we just make it and eat it. And I usually send a picture to Mike Peppy. <laughs> and if he approves, I feel good. That's nice. He's like, he's, like, that's should... a, he's like that's a good looking lasagna. I think you should consider giving some of that good-looking lasagna to the trick-or-treaters next time. Yeah. A little Tupperware. Yeah, I guess that's true. A little spooky true. Tupperware. They usually only go to the delis and stuff. 
they don't really come up to the apartment oh. buildings, I feel like. Mm. I didn't go out on Halloween. I went for dinner mm-hmm. with Eric, and we wore pumpkin costumes. Well, I brought my pumpkin hat and my pumpkin costume, and I, he, we both wore them. And we had so much steak, cacio pepe pasta, and wine that I vomited <laughs> from overeating. That's very spooky. Well, then we actually watched we watched a documentary on Mormonism, and that was the spookiest part. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, no. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't get to have candy because at that point I was like, I've eaten so much steak that I, I literally can't even put any more thing into me. So I puked. That's the part you could maybe get out. <laughs> you, can <keep> that. <laughs> you can keep that if you want. Um, but yeah, I didn't get to have any candy on Halloween. So I'm feeling a little left out. Maybe That's I okay. I had some from, uh, I actually, I tweeted about this, but I went to the wine shop. This is the day before. And I went to the wine shop that I go to all the time. It's right off my subway stop. And uh, I see this guy, you know, several times a week and I got my wine and he said, would you like, uh, would you like some candy? And he had, you know, big thing candy for the uh, trick-or-treaters. For the next children day. that were buying wine that day? Well, for the next day, you know, and, yeah. and, and I said, oh yeah. And he said, yeah, it's for the kids tomorrow. You know, I said, oh, they come in here and they, they trick-or-treat in the wine, uh, store? wine store and stuff. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, well, you, you make them show ID? And he just like gave me the most disappointed like, look. No, I don't. They're and, children, yeah. and I do not card and, them. Well, and it was I was probably the seventh person that evening mm-hmm. that had made that same joke. That's I what was, you get when you're giving candy to children. I was mortified. I haven't been back to that wine store yet. I need really? there to be just a go back. Of time. It's okay. Okay. Well, you got to move past that bad joke. <laughs> uh, Chloe, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for and spending me. some time with me and some fun. time away from Pluto. Oh, I know Pluto. that's very. I know it's very hard, but so cute. But I'm sure that when they grow up, yeah, they'll be very appreciative that you know mom was out in the world making. Well, you're not making. I'm making here. a living, so I can send them to college. That's what I'm doing. That's cool. But you know, next time we do this, um, they will be old enough to come with me mm-hmm. on a little leash, mm-hmm. and I'll be sitting here. They'll be sitting here with me, and enjoying this this kind of interaction. So until then. Until then. And uh, you'll hear my voice on a podcast again next week. When the truth is found to be light And all the joy within you died Don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Wouldn't you love somebody to love? You better find somebody to love. So what do you do? I can barely hear you. Do I talk in the other room? All right.
at the party, ladies and gentlemen. We need an ambulance over by the scaffolding. Good 